Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to, well I'm afraid, plain old The Analyst inside cricket rather than at the World Cup. It's a week since the World Cup finished and we're all sort of coming down off it a bit, aren't we? And it's not the easiest thing to do, actually, even for people who've just worked on the sidelines. No, it's, it's amazing, actually. You build up, you build up, and you're so wrapped up in the World Cup as well for so long, and then you build up, you have this amazing final, all the celebrations, and then the day afterwards, everything feels a bit flat, bit flat. doesn't it? Um, but... There's so much to look forward to. Life goes on. Exactly. Hopefully. Uh, There's so much to look forward to. It's just a small matter of the ashes. What what we're going to do in this podcast, actually, hear from Matt Dawson, who won the World Cup, the Rugby World Cup, with England in 2003. And he talks about what it was like after winning the World Cup and how you sort of cope with life as a player after winning the World Cup. I mean, it is quite a hard thing. I I just recall, you know, winning cups with Middlesex. And, you know, the, the, the... Obviously, it's all relative. I mean, it wasn't a World Cup, but it still was a NatWest final, something which was quite a big thing in the in the nineteen eighties and nineties. And it, you know, you you build this crescendo, and then you you know bowl the last over, and there's all that kind of euphoria around it. And then certainly the next day, a few days after, especially if it's towards the end of the season, which those finals were as well, it, it, it does leave you feeling a bit flat and uh, almost desolate, actually. And you want something else to, to be excited about. And I'm sure that that, the, that is something that is going to be sort of hit a, hit a lot of these players. And actually, if you look at someone like Andrew Flintoff, 2005, obviously a national hero winning the Ashes incredible performance well then a year or two later he admitted to suffering from depression and actually I think you know a lot of that was just major mega disappointment because he could never reach those heights ever again and it was a realization that life is never going to be quite as exciting and that's hard thing to deal with yeah but the players somehow have got to get themselves up for an Ashes series. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? We, we broke the cycle of Ashes 
into World Cup. Now we've got World Cup into Ashes. Uh, and, and, and normally, an Ashes summer is the biggest deal, isn't it? In English cricket, it's the biggest deal. And it, it doesn't feel like that at the moment because of the, the focus on the World Cup and the euphoria over the World Cup. But there's, a, there's an Ashes to be regained. Uh, the Australians are over here uh, preparing. I, I just wonder whether it, that will play into their hands a little bit. I mean, whether you know they, their disappointment and their determination to make up for what happened in the World Cup, I'm talking about Australia, and England, well, they, they've already done their, their, their big deed of the summer, really. I remember you know, talking to some of the players and asking them the question, you know, what would you rather win this summer? You, know, you could only have one, Ashes or World Cup. And I don't think any of them said Ashes. I mean, you know, they said World Cup. Obviously, they said we'd like to win both. And there's that determination to win both. But, you know, it was that focus on winning the World Cup. World Cups, you know, get remembered forever and ever, don't they? Ashes series, well, they, they do get remembered as well. But you sort of think, you, know, you have to think, hold on, what was, what was, um, what was 2000? You know, do you know what I mean? But as World Cup, you know, you know the year you won the World Cup. I suppose also Australia are extra motivated by the fact that they last won the Ashes in England in 2001. Yeah. So there is that sort of spark uh, that they've got to kind of, get over that massive hurdle of winning in England, which they haven't done since the era of Warren and McGrath and Ponting and Gilchrist and all those. So it's it's a major thing for them in England, sort of staving off that Aussie campaign will will be tough, especially with players the likes of Stokes, Butler, Root, Wokes, Bearstow. You know, they've all had such an integral part of the World Cup, mm. and it must take its toll. Yeah, and you know, most of England's key players for the Ashes are their World Cup players, aren't they? They, they are the key. I mean, you think of some of the players that are going to come in. You know, Burns didn't play in the World Cup, and Denby. I mean, you wouldn't if they do well in the in the Ashes. That's a real bonus for England. They're not they're not their absolute key players, are they? You know, the ones they're really going to rely on. The only exception, really, or that's two exceptions, are, are Jimmy Anderson. And Stuart Broad, you know, can can they sort of lift lift the team up? Are they both going to play? That's the other thing as well. Um, Jimmy Anderson's had this calf problem, might not play in the Test match against Ireland. Uh, is he going to be able to play all five Test matches? England would certainly hope so because he's you know tremendous high quality bowler. Is Stuart Broad going to play with Jimmy Anderson, or are they going to look to mix and match it? Or you know, how many Test matches is Stuart Broad going to play this summer? Mm. I, I can see Jofra Archer coming in for Broad, perhaps not for the first test, because Archer may well need a bit more time to just recover from his side injury and all the kind of excitement around the World Cup. I think he's in Barbados at the moment having a bit of time off, which is a good idea. In the end, England are going to need that cutting edge, mm. which Wood can't provide because he's going to be out for probably most of the series. So Archer is, is seems to me a, a sort of perfect replacement for Stuart Broad with that extra ingredient of pace as well. And Broad, I think, just you know his, his career has just tipped a, a little bit over the edge now. I know he's still a, a fine bowler, someone who'd be ultra motivated by the Ashes. But you sort of feel Anderson and Broad's time together is probably nearly at an end. Yeah, well, they've been absolutely magnificent together, haven't they? I mean, they've, they've been a phenomenal for England, those two, and you know, all good things do come to an end. And well, looking at Jimmy Anderson's 37 at the end of the Ireland Test match, Stuart Broad is 33. Um, it's not old, is it, for, for 33? Anyway. No, but... I they, retired at 33. Are they going to play... Are, <laughs> do, you, do you see them playing 
four or five test matches together this summer? No, I think because, you know, firstly, because of their age, uh, combined age, which is, what, 70, and also uh, just that they're a bit too similar. I don't mean that they necessarily are exactly the same bowlers, but they look to do the same kind of things, which work a batsman around the crease, use the same clever ways, they're similar sort of pace. England need more variety. The pitches probably be pretty flat. Talking of great players and, and how they managed to continue to motivate themselves and continue to keep that desire. I thought it was interesting to talk to Matt Dawson, the Rugby World Cup winner of 2003, and asked him particularly, how do you deal with the euphoria of winning the World Cup and the aftermath? My initial thought was wanting to get back on the horse and and get back to the, the somehow getting back to the euphoria of of success and whether that was with you know Northampton or England or the Lions it, it sort of it spurred me on to you know th- that that was a, obviously a goal for many many years but that was success at the highest level and I want more of it your mind tends to take over a little bit and think that you are slightly invincible um, you know a lot of us had dips in forms lots of injuries you know, there wasn't necessarily a formula for looking after the players who had won the World Cup. The, you know, we'd just been solid. We'd been at it for probably two, two and a half years. There is a game to be played there, and, and players do have to be looked after mentally and physically because you, you simply can't you can't keep that up for a sustained period of time. Well, and were you helped in any way? I don't think I was. I was helped as maybe as much as I could have been because there it had never been done before. The, the scenarios of not not just the the playing and training, but all the appearances um, and the media, uh, all the events, you know, everything. It was just relentless for so long, and you do take your eye off the ball. You know, there are so many positives, of course there are, but wanting to press on, you know, they, these. These uh, world champions, individual teams who do it, who do it multiple, multiple times, are significantly more more adept at success than anybody else because they have that ability to manage themselves after success to build themselves back up again. Mm. Whereas I, I think certainly myself and and I think a few others from '03, we just ploughed on. Uh, and got a little bit giddy around the success that O three was. Uh, some of it, some of it was our fault. Some of it wasn't, just by the circumstance. And you know, it didn't stand us in in good stead for the sort of longevity of success. So, your advice uh, to a uh, you know Joss Butler, uh, a Ben Stokes, somebody who's who was absolutely at the forefront of that uh, World Cup win the other day. Your, your advice to them going forward would be what? They're harsh words, and not everyone are going to. Everyone around them is going to like it. But my advice is that they have to. If they don't already, they've got to develop a little bit of a selfish streak. They they know themselves better than anybody else. Any physio, any coach, you know, they're at the top of their game. They've proven they're world class athletes, but they've got to be absolutely brutal with themselves about how they manage their their bodies and their time. 
uh, and that's this important that they spend time with their friends and their family, that they get grounded, but you know they look after their bodies as well because um, it's easy. It's really easy to say, do you know what? Actually, yeah, you know, I've, I've got three or four weeks off, but I'm ready after three. You know, I'm, I'm ready to come back. You know, I'd go the other way. I'd say, well, you get three, four weeks off. Go in and say, I want five weeks off, because as as much as that seems an eternity, in the long run they're the sorts of edges that are going to benefit you physically and mentally, and particularly with cricket, the way that you know, it is it's such a mental strain on, on the individual and the team. They've got to be managed supremely well, and I think they probably are, certainly more than when we played. But, yeah, I, I, I always advise a little bit more of a, a selfish, ruthless streak um, that, that they'll benefit from in the long term. It's been reported that English rugby didn't exploit to the full the, the success of 2003. Uh, do you agree with that? And how could English cricket benefit from what they've achieved? I would agree with uh, that England not benefiting from it as a, uh, as a union, mainly because we were the first Northern Hemisphere team to do it. I think there was maybe a, uh, a, a thought from the RFU that, the sort of nut was cracked uh, and everything was just going to be fine from then on. It needs a full breakdown and analysis as to, right, where can we take this? Let's not let's not just sort of in, enjoy the parade and uh, think that it's naturally going to happen and that kids, of course, kids are going to pick up the bat and bowl the ball and practice their fielding and do everything that they've seen these great players do over the last couple of months. But that will run out when the winter season comes or you know, when the next time England don't do so well. And that infrastructure and that, that process has to be fully addressed and worked out and looked at other teams, other countries, and how they get that consistency. How do they, how do they flood the grassroots with coaching boys and girls how to not just play cricket but prepare for cricket so that the next generation is absolutely knocking on the door for World Cups to come because you know we got in 2003 we had an incredible bunch of individual players some superstar names um, and you don't always have that but the great teams the the, the Germanys of this world in football who always qualify and get there and thereabouts. New Zealand in the rugby, you know, it, is, it becomes their, the, the way of living your sport from when you're six or seven. And A culture, really, isn't it? Absolutely right. Absolutely, absolutely right. Yeah, and, and I suppose part of, the, part of the, the, the task behind cricket is going to be how they can get access to, to the talent. Um, like rugby, you know, seen to be slightly sort of public school sport. You know, how do they get access and how do they nurture all the talent in the country and leverage all of those players and coaches and people that have been involved in the World Cup so that the, the word is spread not only wide but for as long a period as possible rather than just sort of, as I said, riding, riding the crest of the wave that they're on at the moment. So there's the uh, star of uh, Question of Sport, of course, Matt Dawson, turning the clock back to that amazing time in 2003 and, and, and giving some suggestions to some of these 
players, the England players. What not, do you think? Well, not easy, is it? Just I mean, he talks there about having time off, doesn't he? Saying you know you, you need time to recover and being brutal, being selfish, and saying look, I, I need to get away from it. And I think that that's the, that's the big issue. I think how how do players who probably need a break because it's, it's not just six weeks, is it? They've been building up this well for four years they had a four year plan for a start but they've been you know building up to it this year by you know playing series against Pakistan against uh, West Indies it's all sort of been geared towards that sort of the summit really their Everest of you know that World Cup final and, and, and winning and then then they suddenly some of them are going to play against Ireland in a test match, which is a, a lead up to the Ashes and you, there is no time that's a real for rest, down, is it? Isn't it? I mean with due respect to Ireland. You're suddenly you've been facing Mitchell Stark or Jasper Brumrah or uh, you know Blocky Ferguson in in the World Cup final, and suddenly you're facing Tim Murta bowling 75 miles an hour from the nursery end, where he's an absolute master, by the way, brilliant bowler. Uh, that that takes a completely different sort of mindset as well as technique. Well, possibly a good opportunity for Ireland, you know, excellent opportunity for them to to get into the England side who who might not be quite ready. There, there will be players in that England team though uh, who. Okay, there might be a few who are just below the the required sort of mental physical level you need to to play a test match, but there'll be others who'll be very motivated. You know, the likes of Burn, Burns and Denley and Sam Curran. Sam Curran, by the way, who had a magnificent game against Australia A in that uh, sort of warm up game, uh, half century in both innings and six wickets. So you know, there were players like that who can be really motivated. Ollie Stone and and Lewis Gregory if they get to play. So. That might that will probably mitigate against Ireland being able to take England by surprise. But that England team, it, it's a it's a bit thin, isn't it? In, in the in the batting uh, on paper. So if Ireland were to get a few early wickets, can they get enough runs against England's attack, which has been bolstered by the like you know the likes of you know, Ollie Stone and, and Lewis Gregg? We don't quite know how they're going to configure the, the lineup. But Stone's an interesting one. I saw him playing in Sri Lanka last year. He's got some pace. Of course, he had that back injury. He's been out for a while. He's only just come back. Alistair Cook was saying he, he played in the match against Essex uh, for, for Warwickshire and his match figures are not very flattering. He's about 240 in the game but he said you know he's by far the quickest bowler on display. Now you could see what England see in him. Mm, and they think it, they definitely need it don't they because they're not going to have Wood and they're not going to have Archer uh, so the other seamers that are in the squad, Wokes, Curran, Anderson, Broad, even Stokes when he comes back, they're all of a sort of pace so it's good to have somebody else who just gives you that extra thrust. A great opportunity for Stone if he plays in that uh, Irish Test match to then suggest a, an opportunity in the Ashes and give the Australians a bit of hurry up before the Archer and possibly Wood come back into the side later. Just picking up on uh, some of the other things that Matt Dawson said there, I mean, he he said you do take your eye off the ball and I, I, and. If there is a come down for England, I think it will be understandable. Some of those players who can't quite you know, reach the same levels that they've been reaching in the last few weeks. I mean, it's possible the Ashes is enough to sustain you, but I mean it's a grueling experience, isn't it? That the, 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 that tough, intense battle over four or five days, over six weeks, five Test matches, and you, you know against a, a really competent Australian side as well. That seems to sort of damn them with faint praise. I mean, they you know they're they're good enough to come here mm. and win for the first time since two thousand and one. And they've they've got enough in their armoury, and you, I get a sense of them as well. You're really preparing well. They've been over here for for quite a long time. They've been you know playing lots of warm up matches. They're going to play against themselves, aren't they? Uh, Australia against Australia A down in in Southampton, which is almost like a shootout for the 
for, for test places so that it feels as if they're preparing well I think you know one of the issues has been you know for Ashley Sears or any tour really is that preparation time in the past you've know, played loads of games leading up to the first test not the case anymore but they, they look like a side who really got themselves together here whether they're good enough we'll see when that Duke's ball is, is nipping around a bit whether their techniques are strong enough but uh, it feels like a big challenge for England this summer. Yeah, and, and obviously Smith and Warner coming back into the Australia mm. side as well will galvanise them and galvanise individuals. They're, they'll be both extremely determined. I suppose, you know, going back to Matt Dawson again, that, that what he picked out was the incredible desire and motivation of certain countries, their ability to constantly compete for the for the major trophies the germanys the all blacks etc and also he didn't mention this but the the individuals yeah. the likes of federer exactly. and nadal and djokovic and how they keep getting themselves up because yeah. it's incredible isn't it, it is. maybe it's easier in an individual sport where you've got no one else to rely on in a team sport cricket football where you know if you're slightly off color somebody else might step in and there's a temptation there to to perhaps not always give it, you try and improve and develop, and because you're not necessarily going to just benefit yourself, you you can rely on other people. Mm. It's about that thing, but isn't it about peaking week after week? I suppose footballers are are asked to peak week after week. You know, Manchester City, for example, set extremely high standards for themselves. You know, they've got very good players, but they they have to keep producing week after week after week and well and it's not even just week after week is it sometimes it's saturday wednesday saturday wednesday and you're talking about 9 months and the best of the, the very best are able to do it what about the the legacy of the world cup uh, and and england's triumph because a lot has been made about the importance of the free-to-air exposure, obviously of England winning it, the dramatic final moments, eight million people watching on TV, the probably about four times the biggest audience that cricket's had for the last 10, 15 years, almost back to those days of 2005, the Ashes. But somehow it's important, it's a, it's a watershed moment, it's a defining moment for cricket because the aftermath of the 2005 Ashes did not result in more people playing the game. Well, it did in a short term mm. for the first couple of years, but then after that there was a real drop-off and participation and, to a lesser extent, general interest in cricket is now at an all-time low, or it was before the World Cup, because mainly the cricket has been sort of hidden behind a paywall for much of the time. And though the BBCs and Sky have, have done their best... In the end, you know, it's become a, a lesser sport in national perception. So what do we do now to try and capitalise on that great success of the World Cup? Clearly, the, the number one priority is to get more kids playing cricket in state schools. Mm. That's, that's my view. And at the moment, it's 12%. 12% of kids play cricket in state schools. Tom Harrison says it's 22%. And that, I think, includes the private schools. But in state schools, it's 12%. And that's just woeful. So it means over three quarters of under-16s don't really understand cricket. Mm. You, you've got to play at a young age. I mean, you've, got, you've, you've got to be introduced to it 
in in your in your schools. I mean, I know the clubs do a fantastic job trying to yeah. in in certain areas, don't they? Where there, where there is that sort of groundswell of support for the game, and we've touched on this on this podcast before. You know, there are certain clubs and certain areas of of the country where you know, cricket is really thriving, but it's patchy. Uh, I mean, I'm a bit. I have to say, I'm a bit skeptical about a moment like. Surely not. Well, a bit skeptical about a moment like Sunday suddenly sort of leading to a sort of a revolution in cricket playing and and, and cricket well, interest. Kickstart. I agree. No, I agree. Or can I agree. Do. Or can do. I agree. And then you have to. You then have to capitalise it. You well, need, I think if you you need... people, there's a realisation that that from people who. I mean, I've met lots of people, as I'm sure you have over the last week, who said, oh, "I didn't realise cricket was so exciting." Mm. Of course, it isn't. In fact, I. Well, that's that's the point, isn't it? Is it? Is it? it... But I equate following cricket a bit like bringing up kids. Actually, there's a lot of drudgery and hard work and tiring uh, mornings and evenings, and the occasional highlight (laughs) when something you know someone gets a great result or they win the sack race or whatever it is. You know, there are beautiful moments when you bring up kids. And there are beautiful moments when you support cricket, but there's a lot of drudgery involved as well. And it's, it's almost getting people to understand that, but that there are these incredible highs. And it's a game that's just really good for you, mm. isn't it, in so many ways? But it's kind of getting that message across. Yeah. So, listen, I, I, I'd just like to invite you, you, the listeners, to give us your own suggestions. So Sebastian Coe actually was on the radio the other day talking about the legacy of, of the World Cup win and the importance of government joined up thinking to try and get more sport stroke cricket in schools and also to, to make more facilities available, to get more parks or school grounds, private school grounds perhaps mm. available for the community to play cricket. Now, give us your own suggestions about what mm. England might do, the ECB might do or the government might do to try and encourage more participation and interest. There is a small reward for the three or four it best is only very answers, small. <laughs> uh, which is uh, a copy of my new book, Cricket's Greatest Rivalry, A History of the Ashes in 12 Matches, which is out now. And I'm happy to send three or four of you who've come up with some sensible suggestions. Uh, well, the best, the best suggestions, I think that's what we were. We're looking the for best suggestions yeah, the best for suggestions. What, what the game can do to capitalise on that great <laughs> World Cup moment. Send your ideas into the analyst podcast at gmail.com. And I promise I will send two or three of you a copy of this book, which is actually quite enjoyable. It's, it was enjoyable to write. Even though you say so yourself. Well, it was enjoyable to write anyway. Hopefully it'll be enjoyable to read. It's a history of the ashes, uh, picking on 12 great matches from 1882, the creation of the ashes, to uh, the last game, which was uh, Stuart Broad's 8 for 15, I think, yeah, wasn't it? 8 for 15. 8 for 15 yeah. at, at Trent Bridge in 2015. The only point I was going to make is that it wasn't... It wasn't I, I think it is important that the game capitalises on what happened on Sunday. But my point, I think, is that just every now and again in life, that something happens that just makes you go, wow. And it's almost live, live for that moment. Do you know what I mean? Live for that moment and cherish it. It doesn't always have to be a next step. Sometimes it's just a moment in itself to, to really enjoy and relish. And, you know, when you're in 40 years' time, just to look back on and think, oh, I was there that day. I saw that. It wasn't that... Incredible! It's not. But what don't it, you want it, it, other I people do, to share I do. it? Though I, I mean, do. I do. But of course I do. Of course I do. In the future, what I'm saying is, I think it's just sometimes it, it's a, it's about a moment to cherish as well. It's it's just one of those great moments in time, and yeah, it would be fantastic if more people 
came to the game. And, and it is an opportunity, I agree. I'm not saying don't take the opportunity, but I think sometimes we just lose the beauty of the moment in that, in that desire always to think about the future and you know, this, oh, well, now, we've, now, we've, now we've done this, we've got to grow the game. You know, it, it, was, it, was, it was all the talk was about, there was a lot of talk the day afterwards and in the, in the week afterwards about, about legacy, and that's right, but also just about, wow, what a moment that was. And it really was. It was amazing. And I've got a little funny little story to tell you about that, actually, because my son, one of my sons, who will be nameless, was there uh, in the pavilion watching the final moments. And uh, he was sat in the the committee room, which is normally my spot, but uh, he was was sort of sitting in for me during the day because I was working on TV. Near the end, he wanted to get outside uh, because he was inside in the committee room watching through the big window. And he wanted to get outside and, and sort of share in this amazing atmosphere so he asked the nearest person in the committee room just very politely you know excuse me am I allowed to go outside and the person replying said I'm afraid I'm I'm not actually able to answer that question and it was Prince Andrew (laughs) who he hadn't quite dawned on was there in a, in their midst? Well, I think I think Agus actually didn't realise because he was out there doing the presentation of the World Cup when he was he was at live you know on the ground doing you know presenting the the coverage on on, on Five Live and he he said I think does he say some chaps holding handing over the World Cup? I'm, I'm pretty sure he said something like that. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. So. T- tell us how you've been spending the week post the World Cup because you, you you said you've had a, a well, conversation with an umpire. Well, well m- Monday I went for I went for a walk with a friend of mine and we and he he is a qualified umpire and we talked about the the, the overthrow and both of us came to, you know said you know, if we'd have been umpire I'm not a qualified umpire but I mean I you know played club cricket for years and watched cricket for years and if that had happened in a game in which I'd been playing I would just expect his six runs to be added to the score. Um, but you know, a close examination of the laws, I think, does suggest it. Sh- you know, it should have been five. Um, umpire Darmasena has said he doesn't regret his decision. They they considered it at the time. They weren't allowed to re- to refer it, which which strikes me as being odd. You know, they they couldn't go upstairs and just check on TV whether they crossed. Uh, but you 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 heard Maria Erasmus, didn't you, on Sunday evening, say you know mm. they were checking to see whether they crossed and dis- discussing whether they crossed. I, I have to say, I. I mean, it's weird because if the ball had hit the bat, well, it did hit the bat, but hit the bat, just gone away for you know to a field, it would have been two runs, wouldn't it? So, to me, the the the, the law was sort of illogical. A lot of people say, oh, you know, England only won because of that. Well, we don't know that because you know Stokes might have hoofed one out of the park, or the last ball mm. might have been hoofed out of the park for for four or six. So, you know, it, we don't know. It definitely affected the result. Uh, what did affect the result was more, was more the interception that went for four, and that that you might say, well, you know, needs. A lot of people said to me there should be a law change about that. You know, it should be dead ball if the ball hits the bat. So, so what you're saying is that while everybody else in the week after the World Cup was <laughs> was championing England and treasuring the, the the result and all that, you were talking to you were walking the dog, <laughs> talking to an old umpire yeah. about an extra run. Yeah, you, re- you I, nearly, really need to, to get a life. <laughs> well, I, I thought you said get out a bit. I was out a bit. I was out in, out in the in the in the wilds of North East London, but. Uh, well, I just thought it was just a really mm. in, interesting moment. Uh, just on the the, the tiebreaker, um, I, I had no, I had no, actually not too many problems. A lot of people said, "Oh, you know, you can't, you know, decide a World Cup on boundaries." I had a less problem with that. I had more, I think, more problem with the thought of that incident, you know, the run that was given England and the overthrow incident. I, I felt more. I didn't. I, I didn't feel that as 
it didn't feel satisfactory. I felt New Zealand were really hard done by. It would be great to say World Cup settled in what you might describe as a, a just way. But I didn't mind the, the boundary count. You know, you, everyone knew what the tiebreaker was going into that Super Over. So you're all playing to the same yeah. rules, you know. But, it, but it, in a way, if you're going to go to the Super Over and it's still a tie, surely go to another Super Over. Well, yeah, and, 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 and whatever. If, if you're worried about timing, well, wasting time, the team that batted last can yeah. bat first. Well, I, I don't have an issue with there being a different sort of tiebreaker, but the point was is everyone knew what the tiebreaker was, so we're, we're playing to those you know, rules in that, in that Super Overs. I didn't really have a problem with that. I, I did feel it was a bit... It, it was unsatisfactory, the way England managed to get to the tie initially. It was, just, it was a complete fluke, and I mean, in a way it, it sort of added to the... The luster of the situation, really, the excitement of the situation. I just, I was just thinking, actually, imagine if that had been. You know, we we probably see it in a different way because we're English. But imagine if that had been David Warner diving for, diving for his ground and deflected that ball over the boundary for four, and then Australia had gone on to beat England in the World Cup. Well, final. Warner wouldn't have been allowed the... back in the in the pavilion, <laughs> would he? The people would have barred the gates, and he'd had to walk round the back or something. So just imagine if it had been that in, in those circumstances. So, so you can understand how hmm. New Zealand felt. That yeah, and, they, and, and actually, they, they dealt with it incredibly well. There was great magnanimity from New Zealand, and somebody was saying to me today that they seem to be like that in all sports. Mm. You know, they just won the Netball World Cup, mm. obviously, but, you know, they consistently win the, the Rugby World Cup, and there's never an issue with New Zealand bad behaviour. Is I mean, I, I know, you know, very occasionally one of the rugby players might be accused of something, a bit of skullduggery, but you don't ever hear of bad behaviour and sort of penalty points and, I don't know, sort of demerit points mm. and things for New Zealand cricketers, do you? It seems like... They just have this way of playing sport, which is hard but fair. But do you think there should be a law change then? Do you, do you know, if the ball hits the bat, uh, that's that's dead ball. I, I do. Yeah, I think that's quite right. Because the batsmen don't run, do they? Unless, of course, the bat is clear, clearly deliberately obstructing the ball, and then it's going to be obstructing. Yeah, the field. that's different. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you change the, the, the but if it's line an accidental run, yeah, interception, if it's an accidental interception, it should it should be dead ball. Yeah. You're right. So while you were um, wandering about with an umpire looking through the laws of the game, I spent two days in the cricketer offices of the magazine uh, trying to work out who we put on the front cover or what picture we put on the front cover because there were so many heroes and so many great moments from the World Cup. So we, we in the end, we had 12... Kimadam, Cena and Ray Erasmus? <laughs> yes, quite. We, 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 Prince Andrew, maybe. Um, <laughs> we had 12 uh, possible covers, and do you know what we did? We chose all of them. Oh, right. So there are actually are 12 covers of the Cricketer magazine, which is out this week. It's a commemorative issue of the World Cup uh, with 30-odd pages of coverage and your own choice... Of cover, so whoever is your favourite player or someone that you've uh, really admired during that tournament, there is a cover to re- to reflect that. Although I'm, I'm sorry that uh, people like um, James Vince didn't get their own cover, but just the final eleven have got a cover each. Talk of the cricketer reminds me, by the way, that there's a special offer with the magazine this month for twenty pounds. You can get thirteen issues, including this great commemorative one of the World Cup win. And if you just go to thecricketer.com, there's all the details there for a special offer, £20 for a year's subscription to The Cricketer. Pretty good value, that. I look forward to looking at that and reading it. What a week for, for Irish sport. 
So Owen Morgan raises the World mm. Cup one Sunday. Shane Lowry raises the Claret mm. Jug the next Sunday. Mm. And Ireland are now playing a test match at Lords. So it's quite a few days or a couple of weeks for Irish sport, isn't it? Imagine if Exciting. They, imagine if they win as well. Win at Lords. Yeah. So on Saturday at uh, Lords, they hold up. There'll be a trophy, I suppose, for the one-off Irish test. I mean, they've, they've played two previous tests without a great deal of success. Obviously lost to Pakistan this time last year. Can they compete, do you think? I mean, it, it, obviously somebody like Tim Murta will be very effective, but no real pace to to threaten the English batsman with. There's a lot to play with. Jason Roy mm. opening the Test match for the first time. What an opportunity for him. Yeah. As I was saying earlier, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot to motivate the England team, those players who weren't in the World Cup squad. So I, I think... I don't think Ireland will be coming up against an England hangover in that sense um, because some, quite a few players are, are missing. But I'd be surprised. I'd be I'd be surprised if Ireland um, overturned England. Yeah, they're, at Lords. They're, they're fairly weak, aren't they? They they haven't got really one outstanding player. They've got a lot of sort of workman like players. Andy Bulburney, number three, has made a couple of decent centuries in international cricket so he's certainly one to look out for but apart from him you sort of feel that the players like uh, uh, William Porterfield Kevin O'Brien they've been around a long time now and they just haven't quite raised their game to international level the other, other thing as well it's a four, except occasionally yeah it's a four day match as well and the possibility of some heavy rain later in the week it's going to get really hot in London then some some thunderstorms, so it, it may well be that you know the weather has a bit of a say as well. But I wonder whether how England will play it actually, because it, it is a different sort of game, isn't it? It's, it's a four-day match, four-day test match rather than a five-day test match. So you you might have to get on with it a bit and force force the issue a bit if you want to win the match. And it's a, a good test of whether four-day cricket works. Four-day test cricket yeah. actually see if they can finish the overs in time and. Get a result. I think the average test match lasts something like 340 overs, so there is the potential 360 overs mm. in those four days. So they should get a result, provided the, the weather doesn't intervene. Mm. Okay, well, just a reminder that uh, to, to give us your ideas uh, about the future of the game and how the ECB and others can utilise that great World Cup success, send your answers to the analyst podcast at gmail.com. And we'll read out the best ones next week. So, no rest for the wicked. We're back on, well, I'm back on duty on Wednesday. I'm going on holiday. Very wise. <laughs> Have a good run. Thanks very much. Speak to you soon. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.